We are going to read two scripture lessons today. The first, our gospel reading, comes from John 12, 12 to 16. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. And our second reading today comes from Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We are—it's good to be here, first of all. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, Second of all, uh, we're in our last week on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality this week. Um, Well, maybe not like our final, final week. Uh, uh, There's so much to cover if you're following along with us in the book or the daily devotional. There really is so much to cover, so my hope is to revisit it again soon, maybe this fall. Um, But uh, this is our last week for this particular section of the series. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about how um, the last word on following Jesus, the last word of where this whole thing is going is love. Um, I actually sang it to you. Uh, If you missed it, don't feel like you have to go back or at least skip over that section. Um, But uh, that's sort of, I kind of want to pick up uh, on that idea of the last word of all of this being love. Um, uh, Part of living that life of love means learning how to practice what Pete Scazzera, who is the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a pastor from Queens. um, This is uh, something that he calls the spiritual discipline of practicing the presence of people. Practicing the presence of people. Uh, We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about how paying attention to our feelings and our emotions, how that impacts our relating to God and relating to others. Um, And so today, I really, as we kind of close things up, I want to talk super, super practically um, about something that uh, personally I've been waking up to a lot recently um, and something that's been really groundbreaking for me in in learning uh, how to better practice the presence of people. Um, uh, both with people around me and with the Lord. And so I'm excited to talk about it today. Um, uh, when talking about this exact thing, Pete Scazzaro, he uses an illustration that I love, so I'm just stealing it today. But it comes from the novel uh, The Brothers uh, Karamazov uh, by Dostoevsky. And uh, in the story, a wealthy woman asks an elderly monk how she can know if God is real. And uh, we talked about the wall a couple of weeks ago. This is like a question from the wall. Uh, How can she know that God is real? And the answer from this wise monk um, is, what he says is, he says, there's no explanation or argument that I can give you for this. It's only by the practice of an active love that we can know God is real. 
And she has, after that, he says, it talks about this act of love, us acting out of love, that we understand the presence of God. And she has this, um, I think it's a really bold and honest confession uh, back to the monk where she says that she actually dreams of living life this way, living life in um, an act of love, pra- uh, essentially practicing the presence of people uh, with active love. And um, But she worries when she dreams about it, she worries that in order to do that, she'll have to become a nun. And then that will mean she will have to become poor. And then that even if she gets gives up all of this stuff and becomes a nun and becomes poor that um, people might still not be grateful for what she's doing, like ungrateful and say she makes bad soup or makes a bad bed. Um, and that if she gave up so much and people were still ungrateful, she uh, isn't quite sure how she would be able to bear that. And uh, the monk responds to her with this super wise and I think really poignant um, thing. He says this, he says, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams. Love and practice, active love, is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to the love in our dreams. Being a Jesus follower means learning how uh, to practice the presence of people, uh, learning how to love well, and that kind of work, that kind of love, it can at times be harsh and dreadful compared to what we think it should be in our minds and in our dreams. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a similar sentiment. He says this, he says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. Uh, Love, active love, it takes work. It takes incredibly vulnerable work. Uh, True and deep and real connection, a, a real love between us and God and us and others as we learn to practice the presence of people and active love, it, it requires something that we've talked about every week, I think, almost in this series. Um, it requires not just a hopeful vision of the world, but, but a realistic vision of the world. Um, to, to see the world uh, not just as it could be, but to uh, to see the world as it is, is, is a kingdom vision of the world. Seeing the world not just how it could be and how it will be, but also uh, in reality, how the world actually is. Uh, Active love, it's work, but as apprentices to Jesus, it is our work. Um, As I was thinking about this and planning for today, I really felt like the Spirit gave me something kind of really specific and practical uh, to talk about, a really tangible thing, um, particularly during this season of COVID, as we're all kind of relearning how to relate to other people, and for plenty of us, relearning how to relate to God. Um, And I think sometimes at church we talk about um, uh, what we should be doing or or what we hope to do, but I I hope um, that we also spend a lot of time talking about how to do those things, the whys and hows uh, of doing those things. So um, first we'll talk a little bit about why, and then we'll kind of jump into some really practical, tangible stuff. So um, in our text today from Philippians, that Aaron read, uh, we see a really clear explanation from Paul about something absolutely essential uh, to the way of Jesus, this act of love that I've been talking about this whole time. Um, it's this idea that that any touch or any experience of the love of Jesus inevitably leads us outside of ourselves and outside of our own interests. Um, it, it, this is part of the critical journey that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, the, the Philippians 2, it says like this, if, is there any encouragement from belonging in Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together uh, in the spirit? Are your hearts tender or compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one 
purpose. Uh, there's absolutely part of following Jesus that means learning how to look outside of ourselves with active love. Uh, Paul, he goes on in the next verses to talk about uh, learning uh, to look not just to our own interests and our own feelings and our own emotions, but also how to lift our eyes and our interests into the interests and thoughts and feelings and emotions uh, of other people. Uh, lifting our own eyes to see other people as they actually are, not just as we wish they were. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, he, he talks about this through the lens of one of the Ten Commandments in a way uh, that I think is so fascinating. I never heard anyone talk about it like this before, but um, uh, what he says is the Ninth Commandment, uh, which is, uh, you can find the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 if you want to check them out. The Ninth Commandment says this. It says, uh, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And if uh, you've grown up in church then, um, or grown up around a, a culture of the Ten Commandments, that might be a, a familiar one for you. Um, and I may be alone here, but for me, I've always read that um, kind of mostly in like a legal sense, uh, like an anti-slander commandment, or uh, like when I'm on stand in a trial, I'm not going to lie on the stand. Uh, basically, don't lie about other people. Don't talk about other people in, in the form of lies. And, and I do think that's part of what this commandment is saying. Uh, but Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, taught us that when it comes to dealing with the Ten Commandments, that there's more work to be done than just maybe what we see right on the surface. The uh, Part of uh, the brilliance of the Sermon on the Mount is this look below the surface at the commandments of God. And, and when we do that, uh, Pete Scazzaro argues, I think super well, um, that when we look under the surface, we see that part of this commandment to not give false testimony against our neighbor means not just outwardly, but inwardly. Looking below the surface means that I, not just that um, I'm going to not lie in my outward stories about people, but also that I have to check the stories that I'm telling myself in my own brain and my own heart about other people. Check the assumptions and the false witness that I am making against other people in my own mind as well. Uh, active love, it dares us to check our own stories, our own assumptions about other people uh, to see if they're even true. So for example, um, my kids have the same chores every day and if they do them, they get, uh, we write it down on this calendar and they get paid um, by, if they do their chores every day, classic chore system. So um, uh, they have to make their bed, clean their room and wipe down their bathroom and they have to do all three if they're gonna get paid. So um, every morning when Huck, who is my youngest, when Huck would do this um, and I would go in and check, I noticed that there were, was always um, a pile of jackets stuffed somewhere in his room, on the floor, um, in his closet, but like this pile of jackets. I don't, I don't know how one child can wear so many jackets in a day, but that's another story. Um, but he would always have this pile of jackets and for uh, weeks, honestly, for months, I have been harping on Huck to just put his dang jackets away. Like, just hang up your jackets. Like, you've done all this work, and then you didn't hang up your jackets. Like, hang up your jackets. And then the few times I came to check when he had hung up his jackets, uh, honestly, they just looked terrible. I mean, they look like really lazy, and they're like kind of hanging on, like maybe one arm is hanging on a hook or something like that, and, and and they just didn't look good. And so Huck, he would come out and say, I did all my chores, come check them, and he would be so proud and so proud of his room. Uh, but if I'm honest, I couldn't really see much of what he had done because of these jackets 
that seemed to be like the only thing in the room uh, that I could see. And, um, and, and, I, 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 and that led me to then look at Huck and kind of see, or if I didn't see the jackets hanging in the pile, then I would see like the world's laziest jackets hanging on the hanger. Um, and those things uh, sort of led me to tell a story uh, in my mind about Huck, that he was a pretty lazy cleaner um, or not a great cleaner because of these jackets. And also that he must not respect me very much because he's not doing the things that I'm asking him to do. Um, but then one day I go in um, and I happen to catch Huck while he's trying to hang up his jackets. And what I see is that in order to do this, he has to like climb on this dresser in an incredibly unsafe way. And then he has to like hold on with one hand and reach up with another hand and try to get this jacket on this hook, uh, all while trying not to fall off this dresser. And, and what I learned in a split second was that my assumptions about Huck were completely wrong. It wasn't that he was lazy with jackets, and it wasn't that he didn't respect me and do uh, what I'm asking him to do. Uh, the true story that uh, was that I was expecting him to do something that he physically could not do that he quite literally wasn't tall enough uh, to make happen. Like literally and physically, he did not possess the ability to do uh, what I'd asked him to do to meet my expectation. Uh, we all have stories like this um, in most likely every relationship and maybe honestly every interaction of substance with another human being. We create stories and assumptions based on expectations, particularly when they go unmet. And I think maybe more than we realize, these stories and assumptions, they go unchecked in our brain. Uh, they start to bear false witness in our minds about who someone is or who people are. Uh, we do this in all kinds of ways. We do this with groups, like entire groups of people. We form stories and assumptions around entire groups because uh, the truth is our feelings tend to uh, follow our expectations. And so uh, we do this. Uh, we've seen this a lot politically. Um, we do this around political groups. We have this expectation expectation that all Republicans are and we tell a story, all Democrats are and we tell a story. Or um, I've seen this a lot recently with the vaccine where um, we start to tell stories about everyone who gets the vaccine is fill in the blank or everyone who is choosing to wait to get the vaccine is um, and we create stories around a, a choice someone's making around the vaccine or um, entire cultures and people groups. Uh, we create assumptions and stories around the African American experience or the Asian American experience, even though many of us um, that are watching this haven't even ever experienced those two things, but we create stories around um, assumptions uh, based on expectations, and then we, we have feelings that follow those expectations. Um, but we don't just do this on a group level. Uh, we also, as humans, have a tendency to bear false witness on a very personal level, too, to create stories on a personal uh, level based on our expectations. We have created stories uh, with others, particularly with those we spend the most time with or those that we're the closest to, uh, where we expect other people to know what we want before we ever even say it. Um, like, like stories where we say, if my boss really cared about their employees, then they would stop uh, blah, blah, blah. Or if my husband loved me, then he would know I need help with the 
Uh, if my friends really wanted to be friends with me, then they would have, we, we do this, if, if this person would have blank, then um, I would know that they blank or they don't blank. We, we, we create these stories based on expectations uh, that go unmet. And in these situations, our emotions tend to follow uh, what happens with our expectations. We feel good in places where our expectations are met, and we feel kind of negative feelings in places where our expectations weren't met. Uh, this is exactly what I did with Huck. My continual frustration with him in the morning centered around a story that I had created about his laziness or his lack of respect for me. Uh, and it was based on an expectation I had for him that he quite literally couldn't meet. So that kind of exposes that we have some big problems around expectations. Um, and according to Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, in our lives, uh, most of our expectations find themselves in the following categories. They, and I want to talk about these, and we'll talk about really practically kind of how to turn them. But um, the, the problem is that most of our expectations uh, lie in these categories. They are unconscious, they are unrealistic, they're unspoken, or unagreed upon, or maybe all four in some, in some cases. Um, let's go through them. Unconscious. Uh, we create uh, uh, unconscious expectations. We create stories and assumptions in our mind about people based on our disappointment, uh, when in reality, we had expectations of them that we didn't even know we had. They definitely didn't know we had it, but we didn't even know we had it until we were disappointed. Like sometimes we don't even know we're going to be disappointed until we're like, you didn't do that. And I thought you would do that. Um, have you ever been there? <laughs> I feel like I sit there a lot, honestly. Um, where you, Those moments where you're just so frustrated and so disappointed and you're not even sure why. Like you, you're kind of surprised maybe by your own frustration. I, I do this with friends a lot. Like I'll see a picture of someone or someone's uh, that I love uh, or, or like and I, and I see them somewhere. And if I wasn't invited or included, then I'm like instantly disappointed. Um, and, and then I'm so disappointed, even though I didn't know I was hoping to get invited to join your pickleball league. Um, I don't even really know what pickleball is, but somehow I'm really disappointed that you didn't ask me uh, to go. I, I didn't even know you liked pickleball. It's just this kind of spiral of, of unconscious expectations. Uh, the second one is unrealistic. We have unrealistic expectations at times. We can have absurd illusions and expectations for other people or just things that they do not possess the ability to accomplish. This is what I did with Huck. Um, for some people, um, there we, we have really unrealistic expectations about their availability, uh, physically or emotionally. Like we expect them to handle something in a certain way, and we don't know that they've just had the crappiest day ever, and they they don't have it to offer. We um, we form expectations that are unrealistic around uh, needing their creativity and and solving problems or finding solutions. I I think we do this a lot with people in in places of power with. Um, bosses, government officials, things like that. I, um, I thought so much as I was writing this, I thought so much about school superintendents. Um, it, during COVID, uh, we have created incredibly unrealistic expectations on superintendents um, based on the, the COVID pandemic. It's been so crazy. We do this with our kids. We do this with other people, lots of places and, and, and spaces where we have unrealistic expectations. So that was unrealistic expectations. The next one on our list is unspoken 
This is a big one for me. Um, we have expectations around things that we've never said out loud. We've never told our friends, our spouses, our pastors, our employees. Uh, and then we find ourselves angry, hurt, and disappointed when they go unmet. I think it's a big one in marriage. Uh, we get mad at our spouses when they don't do something we've literally never asked them to do. Um, we think we have. We've hinted at it. We've been like kind of subtle about it, and then they don't do it, and we're shocked. Uh, I think I'm speaking autobiographically here. Um, I also think this is a big one at work too. As a boss, there's part of me, if I'm like really, really honest with you, uh, that just like I want Chad and Aaron and Jordan to know what to do without me telling them. I just want them to be able to read my mind and know exactly how I want everything uh, to happen. And then I justify this by saying that I don't want to be a micromanager, um, but one boss to another, if you have employees, uh, it's a really unkind way to manage people. It's, a, it, it's broader than that. It's an unkind way to be in relationship with people, uh, to expect them to meet expectations that we've never said out loud. Uh, and then the final um, category that our expectations often fall in is unagreed upon. Um, just because we have an opinion about what should happen and maybe uh, even shared that opinion with whoever we have that expectation for, it doesn't mean that it was agreed upon by the other person. Like people, especially adults, uh, they get a say in their stories. They get a say. Okay, so if our problem with expectations is that they're often unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, or unagreed upon, uh, then let's look at the flip side. What's, what's the flip side of it? How do we work through our expectations um, in the way of active love, uh, in a Philippians 2 kind of way? How do we check our assumptions and stories and relate to others out of an emotionally and spiritually healthy expectation? So um, the opposite approach of unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, and unagreed upon is to do uh, work and have expectations that are conscious, uh, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon. Uh, to, to learn, to do the work to learn how to have conscious expectations in our life. Like in order uh, for us to get to form a story or a feeling around an expectation of someone, we have to become aware of that expectation or even aware that it wasn't conscious and we need to offer some grace and mercy to ourselves and to uh, the other person. Um, the second one, realistic. Uh, expectations, having expectations based on how things are, not just how we hope that they would be. Um, future expectations, those are called hope. Uh, they can't be expectations, but they can be hopes, but that's what they are. They're hope. Um, expectations, they have to be built on what someone can actually and realistically do. Uh, it's okay as a boss or a parent or a friend to encourage growth and stretching and all of those things, but I can't expect Huck to hang up jackets the way I want them hung when he's four feet tall. It's just not possible yet. Make sense? Um, okay, the next one, spoken. Uh, learning how to have spoken expectations. Uh, speaking your expectations to someone else, uh, particularly in intimate friendships and relationships um, or at work where you're around people a lot uh, or as a parent, uh, it, it is a great kindness. It truly is a kind way of living. It's honoring and respectful, especially when we do it clearly. Um, one more thought here. Uh, this is for me as much as it is for you. Um, your friends, your spouse, your boss, your coworkers, the people in your life, they cannot read your mind. 
They can't. Even like the most intuitive Enneagram twos, if you're into the Enneagram, uh, they can't. Your spouse cannot read your mind. Your employees, your students, your friends, your family, they cannot read your mind. It is not honoring or kind to anyone to expect them to be mind readers. Okay, last one. Finally, agreed upon. As I said earlier, um, for an expectation to be valid, particularly with an adult, uh, they need to be aware of the expectation and agree to it. Um, I can expect all day long for Daniel to do the dishes. And the best way to honor Daniel is to tell him that I really have uh, this expectation that he will do uh, the dishes, but then he gets the chance to agree to it, right? Um, And if an expectation isn't agreed to, then it becomes a hope, right? It's not an expectation, it's a hope. And hopes, they aren't bad, but again, they can't be expectations. Uh, One more thing here, um, we have to learn the grace and mercy and humility to also allow someone uh, to change their mind. In reality, if you know me or you interact with me or you love me, then what you know is that I um, agree to all sort of expectations that I can't actually meet. Um, we've all been there. And loving people means creating a space for them uh, to, this also has to be clear and spoken, um, to come to us and say, mom, I'm too short. I can't hang the jackets up. I uh, agreed to do this, but I actually can't do it. Huck, he tried to say that to me uh, a couple times actually, but my story and my assumptions were so loud. My disappointment was so loud that I couldn't even hear him saying it. So one last thing, and then we'll close up. Um, what happened, we've talked about um, expectations and relating to uh, others and a life of active love with others, but what happens when it's God that's not meeting our expectations? What happens uh, when our disappointment and our frustration um, is with God? What happens when God doesn't meet our expectations? Here's the short answer. Uh, He won't. He won't. Um, I I can promise you that. He will not meet every expectation that you have for him. It's all over the scriptures. It is is everywhere. Uh, For example, uh, we've been saying today is Palm Sunday, and and Aaron read uh, our text about Palm Sunday. And and as we read about Jesus entering in Jerusalem, riding on the back of the donkey, um, being our text for today, I couldn't help but giggling because if there's ever been a story about unmet expectations, particularly around Jesus, I think this is it. Uh, Jesus is coming into town uh, in celebration of the Passover, and and he rides essentially into a parade, and um, people are laying down their coats for him, and they're waving palms for him, and um, and it, there's the, is this outward expression of an inward expectation that they have. The palms and the coats they are rooted in this Jewish practice that came um, from strong men who overthrew oppressive oppressive regimes in order to set the people of Israel free. And so just like uh, the the men before him, it's King Jehu and uh, Judas Maccabeus, they they are celebrating them through this act of, of palms and coats. Um, this, this act, it was a declaration that Jesus would rise in power. They're saying hail to the king, uh, that he would rise in power and overthrow the Roman government and rescue the Jewish people. And my hunch is that, that they had this expectation that Jesus, the king, would ride in um, on a stallion into town, but what they got instead was Jesus, the king on a donkey. Not even a full-grown donkey, a colt, a a colt still nursing from his mother, the weakest kind of donkey. 
God, he, he, he doesn't always meet our expectations. And when we have the courage to look inside ourselves, I think plenty of us, if we're honest, um, we're kind of mad about that. We're, we're disappointed in the God who hasn't always been what we expected him to be. Uh, the wall that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, for me, it's been a place full of stories about God and assumptions about God based uh, almost entirely on my unmet expectations. Um, for me, one of the biggest moments in my discipleship or my apprenticeship toward Jesus, one of my biggest moments in following Jesus um, of, of the whole journey uh, my whole journey through the wall has been the realization that I have expectations of God that he never agreed to, that he never agreed to. There are places and, se- places and seasons and disappointments in my life that I am holding against God that he never promised for me. If you've ever struggled with not getting something that you truly wanted or uh, you got something you really didn't want, um, uh, if you've ever wrestled um longing for healing, if you've wrestled with infertility or a singleness that you didn't want, then you know what I'm talking about. The story is this. Jesus came into town riding on a donkey, a symbol of great peace, with the invitation that he would not conform himself to our expectations, but an invitation that we would learn how to conform our expectations to him. We're going to take a minute, like we do every week uh, with Selah, not moving on too quickly from this moment. Here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to give you two questions, and I would love for you to take just a couple of minutes at some point in time, today, tomorrow, uh, maybe write them down, uh, and, and, and we think through these questions. We think through them uh, in light of your own life, and I'm going to pray uh, some blessing around that, but... Um, uh, here's the first one. In relationships where there's tension and strain, it's COVID. That might be all of your relationships right now. Uh, but uh, here's the question. Where in my relationships with friends, family, spouse, kids, coworkers, bosses, my church, um, where am I creating stories and assumptions based on expectations that are unconscious, unrealistic, unspoken, or unagreed upon? That's question one. And then question two. What am I holding against Jesus that he never agreed to? Let's pray. I want to bless uh, this work in our lives, and then we'll come to the table. So, Father, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit, and that through your spirit, you would give us the courage uh, to look inside ourselves um, and see your active work of love in us. Would you give us the courage to see the places that um, you would like to expose the stories, the stories that we're creating in our minds that bear false witness against our neighbors. Will you uh, give us the courage to see you as you try to expose the assumptions we've made about people or peoples or groups? Um, and will you give us the courage to see the world as you do, how it is, and that... Um, we won't let go of the hope of what's to come, that we won't let go of the hope of how we wish the world was, but that we would honestly examine our expectations to see um, where they are unrealistic, where they are unconscious, where they are unspoken, where they are unagreed upon. And will you give us the courage and the kindness uh, to clean up our messes? We've all made them. 
we've all made them. And so we please give us the courage uh, to clean them up, to have conversations, to own what's ours to own. And I pray that um, that courage would also lead us to dare to ask where we are um, holding our disappointments against you, holding our unmet expectations against you. Where are we um, disappointed and frustrated with you for not doing things that you never promised us you would? We love you. I'm thankful that you are with us, that um, the story over all of this work is love. Will you help remind us that that's why this work matters, that an act of love is why this work matters. In your name we pray. Amen.